For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense from that Saints game. Uh, looking forward to this one like I haven't looked forward to one of these shows in a long time. Here to, to talk about with me is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Ken. Thanks for having me on the show. And and I would agree with you. You know, this, this seemed like it was kind of a breakout performance for the, the Ravens defense this season. I, I think it's a performance we've, a lot of us fans have been waiting to see. Um, the addition of Roquan Smith, you know, getting the outside linebacker, Ty's Bowser back. Um, I think it was a lot of fun and, and we saw the potential of what this defense can be. Yeah. Uh, broadly, we saw that that potential, which is very cool. Um, me, before we go on here, let me uh, make sure we get your uh, Twitter handles at Gabe Fergie and you do the Situation Room, which also posts on filmstudybaltimore.com and all your favorite uh, podcast sites. Yep, th- that's right. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter, especially around you know game time, before and after. Um, you know, I'm always looking to find in- interesting conversations, interesting bits of data out there on Twitter, and, and repost that as I see it. Um, so you know, follow me if you, if you want to you know interact and talk Ravens. Um, you mentioned the podcast I do with Jordan Co. Um, we have one up a reaction pod from last night, and then one we did last week, which is kind of more of a general. Summary of the first half of the season, looking ahead to the second half, things that we're looking forward to. Um, and I, so I think if, if you're just interested in kind of a, a broad kind of talk about where the Ravens are sitting, I think that that would be an interesting pod to look, listen to as well. 
highly recommend them either, in either case. Uh, Jordan and Gabe, regular guests of this show, as you folks know, and they are because they're some of the best in terms of analysts that are out there. And I really appreciate having them on when we can. Let me take a moment to thank our sponsor, Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Let's go back to this game again because this was a win in a lot of ways by the 2019 formula when I look at it. And what what do I mean by that? Well, they never trailed. They rolled up a 14-point lead. They had a big lead. They never allowed the Saints closer than 11, which meant they could play a lot of the the type of defenses that they're very effective in, kind of a loose zone, looking for footballs to be tipped in the air. A couple were in this game. That was nice to see them actually get collected, even though one of them had that ticky-tack DPI associated and got negated. Uh, Generally, tackling in this game, absolutely excellent. Uh, you know, they missed they missed the biggest tackle of the game. But uh, other than that, I only noticed one, and that was by Washington fairly early on a run play. That's the only other one I have noted. So, uh, you know, out, just an outstanding game to, if you know, to miss two tackles, if you want to call it that, or maybe you want to stick three or four missed tackles on that last play. Uh, don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I think in some senses, this this is the same type of formula that we saw in 2019. Um that getting out to that early lead, especially, I think rings true. And, and to some extent, I think we saw that in 2020 a good bit as well before, you know, some of the injuries started to really take hold. Um, but I think, you know, that's the way this team is built now. Um, it, they, they don't have really an, an explosive offense in terms of, you know, the passing game. Um, so if they can get up a couple of scores and, and have a stout defense that can, you know, keep, uh, opposing offense is uncomfortable, you know, have a little bit more of a pass rush than we've seen the past couple of years. I think that's exactly where, you know, this defense wants to be. And, you know, fortunately in, in this game, they had that two point or two score lead and then they didn't relinquish it. And like we've seen in almost every game previously this season, you know, they've been able to get that lead, but then the other teams been able to come back and, and score and respond right away. And this time the defense was able to step up and put the clamps down and say, you know, we're going to hold on to this lead and we're not going to let it go. So I think that, that to me was the most encouraging thing. Yeah. I, I, lots of factors led to that. I mean, I agree. It was great that the defense did it. They held the, they held the saints at three of 11 on third down. That's, that's what you want to do. The Saints did make one out of one fourth down. I also look at one of the third downs was a third and one and they, and they made it on quarterback sneak Another third and one, they got stopped on a running back run. So, you know, that was, that was a nice exchange there to have Mungo one of two. The Ravens went nine of 15 on third down. I think uh, people tend to know those very significant stats and you, uh, you know, if you have that kind of a domination on third down, you're typically going to be okay in, in terms of winning the game. But, uh, you know, they outsnapped the Saints 65 to 49 in this game. And that, to me, is one of those really great indications that the Ravens are having their way with the run game they want to. So they didn't, you know, first of all, 65-49 is a low total snap number. So you know there's a lot of running involved in the game when you see two snap totals like that to, to, to end the game. And the, and the Ravens running in the second half in particular, the Saints knew it was coming and they couldn't do anything about it. It was not quite as good as it was against Tampa Bay, you know, in terms of yards per carry or in terms of their ability to, you know, maintain first downs or not be stopped at all in the second half, but it was pretty damn good. Yeah, I didn't look at the breakdown in pass attempts in the first half versus the second half, but I would imagine it was very skewed. Uh, most of the p- passing probably happened in, in the first half. Um 
and you know, in, in the first half when the, the Ravens did string together those two long scoring drives, I think they were, you know, seven and a half, eight minutes long each, um, 11, 12 plays. It, it, they were long drives. They took, you know, about eight minutes each. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was one of those keys that we saw back in 2019, the, the time of possession difference, the snaps difference. Um, I think the total time of possession was about 37 to 22 in this game, which mm-hmm. is, which is pretty significant. That's a, that's a big, big thing. And um, the, the defense looked, you know, fresh, they looked rested. They looked ready to go. They, they weren't, like you said, missing tackles like we've seen at some points earlier in the season. So I think all those factors, you know, combined to really be the blueprint for what is going to be successful for this team. I just looked it up, by the way, the Ravens threw six passes in the second half after 16 in the first half. So yeah. right on the money on that. Uh, just a, uh, a, a terrific all around win. You know, one of the funny things happened, funny thing happened. I was on another podcast today and the host asked me, what would you look for the Ravens to do better in the second half? And looking at what happened in this game, it's hard to pick something. It's really hard to pick something. It's like, this doesn't, isn't working about the Ravens formula. You know, I didn't think of this on air, which was bad, but, you know, red zone efficiency, I would look at more as, as something to improve. But um, what else could you really pick right now coming off a game like this and saying this thing is still broken about the Baltimore Ravens? It, it's, it's really hard to find that thing. Uh, you know, you know, they don't have a, a, a quality set of wide receivers, but that's not something we can fix during the year. So if you're talking about like what better execution from this group. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, the, the, looking at this game offensively, the, the only thing that stood out to me was was really Lamar Jackson missing a couple of throws, and and that mm-hmm. was the difference between it being, you know, kind of a laugher to being like a game that you know still was pretty out of reach for the Saints, but they they had opportunity to get back in it at least. Um, but I, I think you know that's that's a good place to be. And I think I'm not saying Lamar Jackson had a poor game by any stretch, but you know if he hits on a couple of, of throws that I think normally he would make be able to make. Um, then this game is, you know, completely out of reach. And that's probably, you know, what is a difference for this team from being a very good team to like the, you know, maybe the best team in the NFL is is how good is is, is the quarterback play going to be on a game to game basis? Because I think if the defense can play at this level throughout, you know, the rest of the season, I think there's a floor to this offense with, with the running game that's always going to be there. The the ceiling is going to be, you know, how good can that passing game be when it needs to be. So um, I think that's what's really going to separate them. And and if they can, you know, hit on some of those, you know, intermediate and downfield throws as, as opposed to having to be um, just a short area, kind of quick passing game, um, that is really going to be what, what separates them against maybe the better competition in the league. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree. We're we're not going to know whether this team can succeed in the playoffs until they get to the playoffs. I mean, we're just not going to know because they don't they don't face another playoff quality opponent the entire season, with the possible exception of Cincinnati. Yeah, and uh, Cincinnati is probably going to be on the fringe of the playoffs. I don't think they'll be challenging for the division. And frankly, I think the Ravens may ditch the game on the final week of the season. Uh, it's a road game, you know. It's it's a good. It's always a good rest Lamar game. It's always a good rest your stars game when you when you have a, a you know a, a situation like that. And if they lead the Bengals by one, they almost certainly will have the the, the division wrapped up because the Bengals are now currently zero and three in the division. The Ravens would literally only need what one more in division win, and they could maybe maybe the Ravens need two more in division wins. They need they need to win two of the three against the Browns and the Steelers in order to, to seal up the division. I think that's true because otherwise it might go to common opponents mm-hmm. or some other 
some other element. So anyway, it, it certainly looks like the Ravens are are in good shape there. And, and uh, you know, maybe the comparison is better made to 2018. You know, when Lamar came in to take over the team, they ran over everybody, didn't really have an effective passing offense. And they were just effective enough, a lot of it to Andrews, in terms of what they did uh, down the stretch. And I'm thinking back to the big pass against San Diego in particular, in terms of uh, – uh, you know, getting down the field and, and, and getting a lead in that game. Uh, but it, but almost it seems more like that. Like, basically, they can pretty much have their way with other teams in terms of the run game, uh, assuming this offensive line can do that. I think it's a better run-blocking line a lot of times than it is a pass-blocking line. They haven't been terrible as pass blockers, but, you know, they have weaknesses. Linderbaum has not been particularly good as a pass blocker. In fact, he's been bad. Um, and, and Morgan Moses hasn't always been good. And if you're looking for where powers weakness has been, it's been, I think more as a pass blocker than as a run blocker this year. So, uh, they're not perfect. Um, but, but it's still pretty damn good offensive line. You got a quarterback who should be able to do some of the things he's been able to do in the past. And it does not really seem to matter who the running back is for this team. Yeah, that's, that's a remarkable thing, especially considering last year when we saw their running back mattered a whole lot for this team. Um, you know, I, I was a little critical of Kenny and Drake earlier on in the season. Mm-hmm. I felt like that might have been, you know, a, a guaranteed contract that was kind of a waste of money. But, you know, a few games in, he seems to have kind of like hit his stride, maybe got a better feel for the mesh point with Lamar, got a better feel for the the cadence of the offense, you know, the patience that he needs when to when to kind of wait for the blocks instead of when to kind of hit the the hole when it's there um and he has you know explosive ability i think we've seen that for for certain when there is an opening there um he can take advantage of it so i think between him and you know hopefully you know gus edwards you know being able to come back after the bye i think that's the expectation um you really have a good one-two punch between them um and you know we'll see with JK Dobbins. We don't know, you know, if, if he's going to be healthy by the end of the season, but I think just with the two of them and then justice Hill is kind of a change of pace guy who can maybe catch a pass if needed. Um, you know, that's a good, you know, stable running back. So I think that's all that they need in, in this with, with Lamar Jackson, obviously being the key feature of the running game. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, I hope they'll stick with Hill. I think Hill gives them the effective sidecar option with a front facing mesh point. Then, he, he takes the edge. You have counter, you have jet motion, you have all the things that will stress the defense in both directions. And Lamar has both eyes up the field for those center runs that he's been so effective with the last, you know, since really 2020. 2019, yep. that wasn't his thing, but 2020 and since it's been outstanding for him. Well, he had some good injury news this, this week. Uh, Edwards, Andrews, and Kolar all to return. Obviously, the fact that they got to take a rest is part of the good news and I guess it was a good news, bad things, news thing, but it's a good news, a bad news that turned into good news. Let's put it that way. Uh, with having Edwards and Andrews take a week off, Kolar uh, is going to be activated. And uh, there's already, I already caught the nuance from John Harbaugh that there's going to be a difficult cut coming. Did you notice that today? I didn't hear him say that, but I mean, I, I could imagine you know, there will be a roster crunch and it's mm-hmm. it's never an easy situation to be in, especially when you have some some of the veterans who are probably the guys who are going to be on the chopping block. Right. So they've got they've got Josh Bynes, who looks like he might be in trouble now. Uh, they have Nick Boyle, who could well be in trouble, but he's survived so many uh, close hits, let's say, you know, grenades in his immediate area that it's really hard to 
to know if he's in, in danger now or not. Um, and then, you know, you know, they have other guys. Delshawn Phillips is sitting there at the end of the special teams roster. I don't think anything is totally safe about Christian Welch. I don't think, frankly, he's played well enough that he couldn't be practice squatted with a pretty good chance that he stays there. You may have started to notice the strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores, but that's not beer. That's why it's in the water section. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help to bring a death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I love my liquid death. I'm taking it to work every day, throwing it in the backpack. Yesterday, I had a Zoom meeting. There's nothing like getting on a Zoom meeting at 9 a.m. and cracking open a liquid death and watching the other screens as people try to figure out what you're drinking that early in the morning on a work call. So go on over. Check out Liquid Death. Pick it up yourself and go on over and get it at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. Yeah, and, and uh, is available? Yeah, so I, I do wonder if there is any kind of salary cap implication. I mean, I know any change would be very minor, but um, with someone like with a veteran say let's say you know josh Bynes, he has a fully guaranteed salary because he's a vested veteran are there a couple of players who might not fit under that um guaranteed salary umbrella i'm not, maybe a welch or a phillips who don't have as much time in the league you could cut them and actually recoup a little bit of money against the cap by letting them go i'm not sure if that's something that's in consideration um but i i think you know with a team that is pretty tight against it um, that's something that they might put into the, the you know the calculus of, of who gets let go. Yeah, I, I did ask Dan Reese about this question, and so I'm not the guy to ask on salary cap questions like this. I always always try and defer when it's kind of not my direct area. But but the, I think that one of the things he said was that there's no acceleration, additional acceleration of money into this year, no matter what. Even for a player like Boyle, who may have a year left and prorated bonus that you'd have to pay, it still gets accelerated into next year. It's like a kind of like a post um, June one cut that you, you end up uh, pushing that money into next year. So there's not any actual, um, uh, you know, risk from that standpoint, but you're talking about the, like the guys who might be on a week to week contract. The Ravens have some of those guys who they signed in week two, for instance, that were veterans and then their, their salary isn't guaranteed. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was thinking more about the players who have been around but aren't veterans, like like a Welch, who is I think going into his he's in his third year now, so he wouldn't have that guaranteed salary. I believe that someone who has been a vested veteran, he's been on the roster the entire season, like a Josh Bynes would have, or I mean, I think if someone like Bynes or, or Boyle needs to be let go, they would be be put on IR most likely because they have you know had some injury limitations because you don't get gain anything from putting them, you know, on the street versus putting them on IR. There's no difference in, in, in salary implications. You may as well, you know, keep them in the building. It just ends their season for them, essentially. So that could be a, a move. That or gets if you need well. them, they could actually come back. That's, that's also true. And, and, yeah. you know, that, that's another reason to potentially do that. If, if someone, you know, obviously will get hurt and lost for the season, it's good to potentially have that option to bring someone back. So that, that might be the, the route I would consider going with it. Okay. 
that, that's certainly reasonable. And, uh, and I think that's a possibility. I also think both those guys probably make it through on the street and they're available again if the Ravens need them. But yeah, you're right. That makes more sense. If you have, if their salary is guaranteed, you may as well IR them. And both of them have been dealing with minor stuff. Uh, let's keep talking injuries a little bit because there's other good news because a Jabo um, is activate. He did not, he was inactive for this game, but he was activated to the 53. Uh, at some point he will get an opportunity. It could be as early as the next game in 12 days. Right, because Ajabo um, will be uh, potentially healthy, and Pierre Paul may or may not be ready to go uh, for who they even play next. <laughs> it's a Car- Panthers. Carolina, Carolina yeah. Panthers. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, anyway, they've they, they've got additional reinforcements coming in Kolar and Ajabo for next week. Edwards and Andrews returning. Um, they even made a good point. Uh, Harbaugh did to talk about Marcus Williams returning from his injury, and, and they're still fairly confident, apparently, that it's December. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was a little worried about how the Ravens would re- replace Marcus Williams. And I think that's actually been a lot smoother than I'd expected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Geno Stone has, he hasn't been the playmaker that, that Williams was when he was out there, but he's been very, I think, disciplined and sound in his responsibilities. Um, and, and that's really what you need from that player who's coming in to fill in, in that role. So I, I think, you know, I mean, we, we've both been big fans of, of Geno Stone. We thought, you know, he's a, a starting caliber player in the league. Having him as a backup was, was a luxury that this team was able to afford. And, you know, fortunately they had him when they needed to call on him. So, um, but obviously, you know, Marcus Williams is more of the guy who's going to, you know, get those turnovers, get the ball in his hands. Um, he, he's a little bit more aggressive coming down in the box. So um, I think, you know, having him back would, would be great. Um, Ajabo, I mean, I think anything you get out of him this season to me is is a is a luxury. I think you know when we drafted him, we didn't know what the expectation was. We thought there's a good chance he didn't play at all. Um, having him out there, you know, practicing every week, I think that's a great place for him to be right now. I do think there's a chance that he could come and play as early as as the next game against Carolina and seeing him and what he can do in you know probably just a pass rush specialist role. Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think that would help, you know, this rotation along quite a bit. You know, he's a he's a different type of body than than JPP, who's who's a little bit larger, can play a little bit more inside. Um, and some of these like, um, you know, rush dime, rush nickel packages, as, as you like to refer to them. Um, but I, I I do think that he brings something off the edge. If he if he is the same player that we saw him in college, having that burst and that speed off the edge, is something that you know opposing offenses are really going to have to you know look at and and think in a different manner than some of the other players that the Ravens frankly don't have that same type of ability uh, on this on this team and it's not to talk bad about the Ravens outside linebackers because I think they've been playing really well this season but he brings a different skill set and I think that's something that could really really um, prove to be um, impactful as the season progresses. I mean, I agree. I think there, that he potentially adds terrifically to that. And it doesn't have to be a lot of snaps. I mean, 12 snaps a game, 15 snaps a game. You want to you want to just see him out there, the amount that we were seeing just in Houston. I think he potentially gives you an impact. He gives you you know an added pressure dimension. I think you, you can go back. The Ravens have just dipped their toe in the water again. We'll get to this a little later in packages with these three outside linebacker packages. But with if they have five active on game day, they have four four is possible five is even possible but four is possible um on individual plays and i think they might they might go back to some of that it's not 
They do not really have an exceptional set of interior pass rushers on the defensive line. It's Campbell. He's up here. My hand's up here. <laughs> and then it's Matabika. And you have to, you, you're, you're going down a little bit there. He's, he gives you, he, it's a, he's a different guy. He's a good change of pace. And when you, when you can penetrate, he does good things. I just think you probably get a little bit more out of a player like a Jabo as a pure pass rusher than you get a more balanced defender out of a, uh, Matabike, who's done some positive things as a pass rusher, you know, and and Washington done some positive things as a pass rusher. You know, we saw Urban tip a ball in this last game, which was a big, you know, a, a positive. But uh, I, I think I think that it, it's just my guess from observing that McDonald would probably be open to you know four outside linebacker, what I call race car packages again, um, if if he truly had the option personnel wise. Yeah, and I think, you know, having one of those outside linebackers as Tyus Bowser really mm -hmm. gives you a lot of flexibility still with that package because he's looking extremely comfortable even in this one game, in his first game back, dropping into coverage just like we saw from him, you know, earlier on in his career. So I think that's, you know, exactly the kind of versatility that this defense is been missing to a certain extent, you know, with the addition of Roquan Smith, I think that adds another element to that. Um, but I think, you know, having a job of being able to drop off into coverage so seamlessly. And then, you know, we saw, you know, Justin Houston in this game lined up over a guard and, and rushing yep. over a guard. So he has that ability in him as well. And then you can potentially have OA and a job as, as your edge rushers. Um, and one thing that I think would also be interesting to see um, is how do you really kind of stress the offensive line and how do you kind of take advantage of the, the kind of pass protection you know calls that the offensive line is making and if you can isolate you know one-on-one -on -one matchups that does allow for your interior pass rushers like your meta bks and your campbells to get easier access to the quarterback as well so you know kind of having those head or you know bodies lined up over individual guys on the offensive line it, it really does allow you to stress the 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 protection a lot more and having more bodies that can do that and win their one-on-one match one-on-one matchups is a good place to be yeah, I, I, it certainly whoever is lined up at three tech for the Ravens has an important role. They're expected to win some one on ones, and Campbell has been there a lot. Matabike has been there some, and they're valuable players. But I want to go back to the outside linebacker role for a minute because I think people are underplaying the return of Ty Tyus Bowser in terms of its importance, and I just I think it's terrifically important. Yeah. Bowser is returning to play the Sam linebacker spot. That's a spot where the Ravens, out of necessity. I've been playing Adafi Owe for most of the season. I think it's actually hurt Owe's production to have those additional responsibilities. You know, it's made him probably a little bit more tired to drop back into coverage more. The pass rushing very tiring, uh, you know, itself certainly. Um, but I think that he's he's just been a little bit of a fish out of water in terms of his responsibilities and and moving him back on the rush side, which is where he'll take most of his snaps now. The rest of the season is going to put him in a more of his natural first layer of known responsibilities uh, where he's, he's a pure playmaker. He's there to beat a tackle, get to the quarterback. Doesn't have to worry about the other things. Doesn't have to jam a tight end. You know, he's lining up opposite a naked tackle. He doesn't have to cover a tight end. Doesn't have to drop the coverage nearly as often. Although the Ravens do drop off on both sides and blitz a slot or blitz a safety perhaps, but, they, but they, you know, there'll be fewer times when he drops off. He dropped the coverage two times in, in this last game. So much less than he had been where he'd been, you know, three, four, five, six times he'd been dropping into coverage. Uh, I, I just, I think that will help. 
And, you know, the fact that, that Houston is, um, I noticed the same thing you did about him, him lining up as basically a three tech on the inside, you know, one, one to the inside of the outside rusher on a four man front. Um, that, that is tremendously useful if he can still work some of his magic from the inside. Cause, uh, boy, that gives you a lot of flexibility. And the Ravens have right now, a lot of guys who are, are, are at their best when they rush from the outside rush wide. And I think Ajaba will be in that category. Uh, Pierre Paul seems to be the other guy who has a little bit of versatility to rush from the inside. Mm-hmm. The Ravens also seem to, you know, they started him in this game. They really seem to like him as a run defender. Yeah. I mean, I think the size that he offers is something that is, is beneficial in the run game. Um, Bowser's always been a little bit on the undersized side for, for an outside mm-hmm. linebacker, for, especially for the Ravens. They've, they've tended to like larger bodies on the Suggs, edge. Yeah. Suggs, exactly. You know, your Jared Johnson, Zedarius Smith, you know, Matthew Dunn. They're more like the 260 to 270 type guys. And Bowser's probably sitting at around 250. I mean, 20 pounds, that, that matters um, in, mm-hmm. in the NFL, um, especially if you're, you know, having to, you know, set the edge against an offensive tackle who might be having, you know, 60, 70 pounds on you um, or, you know, try and take on a, a pulling guard, for instance. So I think, you know, having a bigger body out there definitely is, is good for the Ravens. Um, and we'll see about his you know injury. I haven't heard exactly the extent of it. Um, it didn't look like it was too serious, but, you know, it's difficult to say um, about that. So, I mean, I think he's definitely going to be part of, of the rotation they're going to use if they want to have him more as an early down player um, and then have, you know, Bowser and Ajabo and, and Houston as kind of the, the, maybe the sub package guys who rotate in, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as, as we're going to talk about later, I'm sure there, there is a plethora of different options that Mike McDonald has um, at his disposal now um, with, with, with the, with the outside linebackers, with the, with the defensive backs, with the inside linebackers, there's a lot of different things that they can do. Um, and, I, I just think, you know, finding that right rhythm and finding, you know, how the players work together is something that needs to be figured out as we're hitting the stride of the mid, middle of the season and getting those packages where you're actually, you know, being at, at the, you know, the right comfort level with, with what they're doing and, and being comfortable in their roles. Um, that's going to help getting through the second half of the season. So that, yeah. that, I think that's going to be really important. I mean, uh, one thing that I'll say, and, and this is going on now at a number of positions, it's happening It's happening at safety, it's going to happen more at safety. It's happening at cornerback right now, and we're going to talk about that. It's happening at inside linebacker, even though the Ravens seem to have their inside linebacker situation fixed. It's happening on the defensive line, and it's happening outside linebacker. It's everywhere on the defense. Snaps are now highly in demand by the players. Now, players always want to play more. Don't get me wrong, but... You know, a lot of times you play a player out of necessity because you don't really have a choice in terms of who else you do. Adafi Owe way overplayed early in the year. Whoever has been healthy at the other outside linebacker spot, whether that's Pierre Paul uh, or or Houston earlier on, was being played way too much relative to how much they should. It's good to have snaps being doled out with an eyedropper. It's good to have them being, well, let me see what you're really good at and we'll get you in in that situation. It's obviously good for optimization, but it's good just for player motivation to, to get players really playing hard on a, on a, on a down-by-down basis. You, know, you don't want to get called out of the game necessarily, but you, you, you want the coach to have the option to call you out of the game, I think. okay, Maybe you don't want this as a player, but you definitely want to have it as a coach to, to be able to, to you know, 
stick in a rested player who's 90% of the player even at the thing he's good at when you're in the middle of a line drive, a long drive. Uh, to, to me, just a, a outstanding situation they've got the defensive into with the depth. And it's really just three moves that have done this. We've talked about Tyus Bowser. Roquan Smith, obviously a huge addition who basically takes snaps from a lot of different people. I mean, Malik Harrison has lost a lot of snaps. Malik Harrison's lost snaps to Tyus Bowser. He still started this last game. You know, as I like, it was a really strange kind of thing, but I think he wanted to do it one more time for him. He ended up playing some relatively small number of snaps, seven or eight snaps for the game. But, uh, uh, but you know, it's, it, it, he's, he's played well. He still will stay on the team for special teams for, for, you know, to be a backup if anything happens. I do expect he's gonna he's gonna play fewer snaps in total and and just be a guy they'll have available. But take a crack at that if you would in terms of the the eye droppering of snaps. Do you ever see that as a bad thing? Do you think you get players unhappy in that situation? I mean, I think we've seen very few instances where players are unhappy. And one that comes to mind immediately is Jihad Ward. Um, and Jalen Ferguson, I think back in 2020, where, you know, you basically had a six outside linebacker on the roster. And, and some days one of them was active and some days the other one was, and it was kind of like, you know, yes, we have to have the best guy available for the, for this role on the field and who's going to be this week. And, you know, the person who wasn't out there is probably having a little bit of sour grapes that he wasn't chosen mm-hmm. in that particular time. So I do think there is, you know, some instances where that can happen, but for the most part, I think it, the the best aspect of having this ability to have players that you can choose from is putting them in the correct role for what they do best and not having them do things where they are asked to, to do outside of their comfort zone or outside of their skill set and really allowing them to, you know, focus on their expertise where they have honed their craft and where they're best at and not having them, you know, overextended to doing things that they are not maybe best suited for. Um, and I think that's where it's going to pay dividends for sure, because the the type of different bodies and type of different skill sets the Ravens have at, at outside linebacker now is really exactly where you want to be, I think. And that's something that, you know, we, we've seen them kind of improve throughout the course of the season going from, you know, maybe basically two guys who are out there to now you have, you know, four or five, six guys you could choose from on, on any given game. And I think that's exactly what, what this team is going to need if they're going to be at their best. Yeah, two two guys on a practice squad call up every week was was getting very frustrating. Obviously, Fr- very frustrating from a fan's perspective. Incredibly frustrating from an analyst perspective. I can tell you because I I have to go back in there and see who's actually playing on on these plays and be upset about it. But uh, you know, it, it, I, I I'm just I'm very excited about the outside linebacker room as well. I think you know it's the difference between optimizing player strengths versus necessitizing. Uh, you know, playing your defense out of necessity. I think you, you you captured that. I want to go on to what I think is potentially the biggest single thing that McDonald unveiled in this last game. And I'm really wondering where they take it because at this point, I don't see how you can reverse what occurred. So the Ravens' biggest weakness right now on the entire defense is their third cornerback has not played well. So who is their third cornerback? Well, we don't even know right now. Brandon Stevens has played some. He hasn't played well. Um, uh, Jalen Armour Davis uh, was active again this week for the first time since week three. He hasn't played well when he's when he's been in there. And Pepe Williams, while he probably has been the best of those three, gives you a little bit of versatility to play safety like, like Stevens did. Stevens played some back-end safety in this game. Uh, it, it is not... 
um, the guy you want on a championship team as your number three cornerback right now. I still think he could he could be better than he has been so far, but he's but he's just not there right now. And I think in 2022, I I think I don't know if you wave the white flag on it, but I, it's not it's if you have another solution, you use that first. And so this game, what did McDonald do? But when they played nickel, they played mostly big nickel in this game. They put a little bit of standard nickel, and it was mostly at the end of the game they took Hamilton out. Uh, so I, you know, we, we can't even judge that because the game was out of reach, frankly, at that point. Uh, but when they scored their touchdown from down twenty-seven six, it took him to twenty-seven thirteen. He was he was in for a lot of that drive. He also was in to play some quarter, so that's not taking away the you know the nickel spot, obviously. So what's interesting about this is that. You know, they they basically gave those big nickel responsibilities and 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 frankly most of the nickel responsibilities to um, Hamilton, and they basically said you're our slot corner. Yeah, um, he was definitely lined up there quite a bit in this game. Um, I, I think it's something that can work against certain personnel, but I don't think it's going to work against all personnel. Um, it depends on the type of player that I think the opposing offense has lined up at slot receiver. Um, and it also depends on the coverages you want to run as well. Um, and and the dic- the game flow is going to dictate that, you know, the lead, if you're be pl- playing, playing from behind. Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to be something that we're going to see every game or if it's something that's more kind of matchup dependent. Okay. I did miss an important part, a point of evidence in this thing that I, you know, I, I understand, but I, but I'm like, other people may not, may not know that they, McDonald did this, like, regardless of whether, what personnel grouping that they had on the field. So the Saints ran a lot of 11. They ran a lot of 12 too. And they were in some 13 and it didn't matter. He was out there for all of that. All right. So, you know, first of all, we know how, Jalen Armour Davis has gotten burned a few times when he's been in there early in the year, particularly against New England was the example. Stevens, same thing, same game. In fact, he was also benched. That left Pepe. Pepe's played well at times, not as well at other times. And, you know, I think they, they, they clearly are still looking for another solution. They're clearly looking for a way to get Hamilton on the field. I think we would agree there's less opportunity to get a Hamilton on the field in dime situations right now because – he's probably not going to be the guy to replace an inside linebacker. If, if, and if they did, they'd be kind of, kind of going to his lesser skill set to put him on the back end and move Clark up to weak side linebacker to take a role that he's extremely familiar with and has, has been you know, very good at in 2019. Best season ever by a Ravens dime, I've you know, said multiple times. But Hamilton, uh, he was just outrageously good. And I'm going to give you some stats here because this is something you don't always get it this way. Hamilton... In this game, and the, the snaps he was on the field. Okay, first of all, the snaps that the Ravens were on the field in total, they got 5.0 yards per play, 5.7 against the pass. When Hamilton was on the field, 3.5 yards per pass play and 3.4 yards overall. So they were just absurdly better with him on the field than without him. It's not any one play either. Though I, I think Hamilton was not on the field for the 41-yard touchdown. But even that, that doesn't come close to explaining. He was not. But that doesn't come close to explaining um, that kind of a difference in averages of, of you know, over two yards of play against the pass. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from Hamilton. I, I think this game really showed uh, what he can do and what he does best. Um, mm-hmm. 
when he's especially kind of closer to the line of scrimmage in in that coverage and and it's mostly when they're playing zone coverage and in the mm-hmm. second half of the game they played mostly zone um one thing i would note um when, i think they were playing dime in the last drive of the of the first half mm-hmm. um and they had brandon stevens and kyle hamilton on the field um and what they did was they actually put marlon humphrey in the slot and he was lined up mostly over you know that threat um he wasn't entirely over the slot i think he started kind of covering chris Olave mostly especially when he wasn't on marcus peter's side of the field he kind of just covered um Olave wherever he went um but that is something that i think they want to have in high leverage situations is, is marlon humphrey on that player if that's their best receiver um i don't think they're going to put kyle hamilton in, in that situation in these kind of more high leverage plays I I agree with you about the matchup component, but I think the other component of that was that they were replacing an inside linebacker. So yeah. they took they took Roquan or Queen off the field for those snaps, and somebody had to then go inside mm-hmm. and effectively play that weak side linebacker position. And that was generally speaking either Clark or Hamilton. Yeah, and I, that's I I I understand the notion of of moving into the slot. The other thing that's really bad is that as soon as Stevens is out there at right cornerback, uh, Dalton almost like a poker player doesn't want to look at him. He's so eager to throw at him. He doesn't even, he comes to the line of scrimmage. He knows exactly where he is. He doesn't even want to look at him, but, the, but his first read right away that was well, first read is I'm, I'm looking blankly over to the right. And then he immediately goes back to the guy on the left and boom, you know, and it was a couple consecutive plays like that where he really had easy. Mm-hmm. Stevens seemed to be looking backwards at the safety and this was really bad, but there's a three by one play that he's in there. So it was one of the two easy pitch and catch kind of receptions he gave up consecutively. But there's a three by one, where it's one receiver on the left side of the offense, three on the right side standing. Okay. Uh, I don't know the tight end situation. I don't know if it was five, you know, if, if there had been a tight end or this is a running back, probably a running back, but, but it's a three by one in terms of standing receivers. And the Stevens looks back to basically say, do I have help? And stone is basically saying, I got to be over here. There's three receivers on this side. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not a good situation to have Brandon Stevens in. <laughs> he's, he's looking at, try and read the body language from that play. It is very apparent to me in terms of what's going on in there that, that he was not really comfortable. And, and, and that's, it was entirely appropriate. I think it was Callaway was mm-hmm. the guy they, they singled him up with on that side. Yeah. I think that was a play where he kind of, played very loose kind of like bail technique and, and slipped on his back pedal. And it was an easy completion to Callaway because he didn't want to get beat over the top. It seemed like he was willing to allow that reception in front of him because he didn't want to get beat. And I guess in that situation, that's the correct way of playing it. You don't want to, you know, if you, if you have a one-on-one, you, you really don't want to kind of go up and press in the line of scrimmage if you don't have help over the top. Um, but it's, it's really not competitive when, when he's out there. Um, and, and when he's playing, you know, no offense to Marcus Callaway or the, or the Saints wide receivers, but some teams are going to have better receivers. You know, sure. maybe it's the Bengals and, and it's T. Higgins or, or I, I don't I hope he's not lined up against Jamar Chase. Um, you know, that's a situation where you know everybody's going to pick on him. It, it's and that that really is the the weak link, I guess. Whether it's him or whether it, where it's you know Taylor Armour Davis. Um, and I I think if if you know what you were inferring is Kyle Hamilton being able to come in and, and play slot and and kind of take over the ability to cover that area of the field and then have your two best corners on the outside covering 
in theory, the two best receivers the other team has, then you're in a better condition. I just think that, you know, Hamilton, I do like him, you know, coming down and rallying. I think he has gotten much better at tackling. Um, there might've been one missed tackle he had in this game. And on that last drive, um, depends on how you might've looked at it. It was, he was, he was, might've been when he got hurt. I'm not sure he might've, I think he limped off afterwards. Um, but he okay. kind of ran down. It was a long, it was a third, third down play, a screen to Olave that he kind of ran down and kind of slipped at the end, pushed a little bit in the back. Um, he didn't, that was the only time I kind of was like, okay, you kind of got out of, out of control on that play. But for the so most part, he, he made that well. tackle. It was, it, it was a converted first down, but he made the tackle for a gain of seven or nine on a, th- on a four, on a third and three or fourth and three, one of those two. I think this is a different, this is a different play. This was when the, okay. this, the Saints had like a third and 20 and the, that last scoring drive. And there was a, a screen play where they picked up like 15 yards and then was able to convert the fourth down on the next play. Um, okay. and, and Hamilton kind of, he was, you know, basically playing that off kind of slot role. And they had like a trips formation to the right side of the field and Alave caught the screen and, and Hamilton came down to make the tackle. And he kind of just, he was a little bit pushed in the back. He sl- slipped on it and um, Alave was able to get by him and pick up about, you know, 12 or 15 yards. Um, but other than that, I think he played really well. I mean, he played under control. I was impressed by his size, his length yeah. um, when he's coming up to, to tackle and he and he breaks down in space it's like wow his arms and legs are like seven feet long (laughs) he looks like a spider out there um and if he does find that ability to continue to play control of himself and and not kind of over pursue i think he can absolutely be a really impactful player in in that position playing in, in this slot as long as you know he's not asked to man up on somebody like a a chris Olave, for instance someone who's a really good quick route runner who can potentially win in, in that sense. If, if you do, I mean, if you have a, first of all, if you have 12 personnel on the field and you just play a, you know, a simple high school trick, like move the, move the fast receiver into the slot. I mean, he's perfectly capable of going to the outside and covering their, your tight end out yeah. there. So, you know, hopefully that doesn't mess you up where you would, you know, you would, you would force him quote unquote to cover a slot receiver. He gives you so much else in that mm-hmm. underneath zone coverage. I mean, he, he, he rushed the passer effectively. He actually set up one of the sacks in this game by having the front side pressure on Humphrey's sack. Uh, and you know, he was close enough that that's what caused Dalton to pull the ball down. I don't think he saw Humphrey. I think it was it was it was the uh, in the face pressure from um, uh, Hamilton that was doing that. Uh, he's played the run well. Uh, he's he, you know he's done a good job. Uh, th- you know, reacting to that ball in the air, it seems like oh, that's an easy play. No, it wasn't. No. You know how, how many of the Ravens dropped of this of this type this year? It wasn't even an easy play for Houston. You, you caught the ball with his knees. You know, in the end, even though it was you know an in play ball, that's a really good play. That's what you want. You want a center fielder out there who you know good awareness of where the football is, good awareness of how to deal with the rotation, fearless pretty much about taking a hit, going for that football. Uh, you know, it doesn't even cross his mind that that you know he's gonna he's he's gonna take at least it didn't appear to. Um, and, and I, I, that's, that's a tough play. That really is. And I, I, I want to see him available for just that. This, this line deflected what about three balls in this game as it was Campbell had one Matabike, I think had one. I'm trying to think of who urban had one. So mm-hmm. you know, they, they had multiple chances on balls in the air in this game. And, and, you know, having a player like Hamilton playing a short zone under those circumstances is very cool. Yeah, I mean, he showed that those instincts, the ability to kind of control himself in a situation, not get too excited. We've seen the Ravens drop countless of his balls, like, like you said. And like he was just 
he was in the right spot, but he put himself in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was able to, you know, make a play after catching it too. Like he, he turned it, I think like 30 yards. Um, bogus PI call, by the way, yeah, <laughs> you watched, watched it many yeah. times. It was not even remotely close to being a pass interference call. Uh, apparently the Mannings were completely bashing him on their version. Of this. I, I didn't see that live, but I mean, I'm looking at that. Like, like that is normal press coverage off the line of scrimmage, five yards, completely connected in terms of that. He didn't hit him twice. You know, if you go boom, 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 you know, off on the same receiver, he just, it was a constant contact thing. I, I didn't get it at all. And I, I, Clark to his credit, didn't explode on the field about it, but he, but he, it wasn't a good call at all. Yeah. And, and that's unfortunate because that would have been nice to have, you know, Hamilton get his first career interception there. Um, he still had a great game. I mean, mm-hmm. not counting that. And I think that's definitely exciting moving forward. And, you know, to your point, um, is he going to have the same role, you know, when Marcus Williams comes back is, is Gina Stone is going to kind of go back to the bench and be the reserve safety. And then, you know, Hamilton will just continue to play in this expanding role where he's on the field. I think he was like 75% of the snaps in this game, which I think is ideally where you, you want to have a player of his caliber out there because he is, he is, I think someone who can be a, a game changing player for them. Right. He's, he's forced his way onto the field and he did it by taking a role that is not normal, which is this big nickel slot corner role. So I, 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 I think there is an answer on the Geno Stone question. So I won't take it as rhetorical. I think that that Geno Stone, if when they come back, is a split safety on the back end with Marcus Williams. I think you get a lot of value out of having the two of them back there. You bring Clark up in the box to play dime, and then you still have a slot corner and two outside corners. So you play a four safety dime instead of a three safety dime. So it's a heavy dime um, on obvious passing downs. And yeah, there there's, you, you could get a bad matchup on some receiver if they've got three fast guys and, you know, Hamilton can't possibly cover the whip route that you get from certain uh, receivers. Yeah. So what? Nobody can. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in what kind of disruption he can cause by punching that receiver, you know, at the line of scrimmage, but by getting good press, by disrupting his route, by uh, getting his harm, arms up in front of the quarterback as he rushes the quarterback by that slippery pass move we've seen. I mean, just there's too many ways he helps you to offset all of the ways that you can point to that he let you down relative to a very mediocre slot corner. Yeah, it's hard for me to you know disagree with anything you said that because the Ravens really don't have a, a better option at cornerback. And outside of you know hoping that either Jalen Armour Davis or or Brandon Stevens figures it out as an outside corner, and then having Marlon Humphrey play in the slot, that's really your only other potential alternative. But even then, you could have you know Kyle Hamilton lining up outside, like you you said he. he it's not the end of the world to have him there. He might be better than a Stevens or or a Williams or 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 Jalen Armour Davis at this point, regardless of where he is. Um, so, if he's just your fifth defensive back that that you're going to use in you know eighty percent, ninety percent of your snaps when you're not in base defense, then that's that's not necessarily the worst place to be in, and, and that's really getting the most out of your first round pick too. I mean, he's yeah. someone that you you put a lot of investment in. Um, having him on the field as much as possible. He's a very good player. I think that's for the betterment of the team. Yeah. Let's move on here because, Hey, we're, we spent a lot of time on, on what is, I think one of the biggest things to come out of this game is the usage of Kyle Hamilton, but we haven't, uh, we, we need to go into some other things. We'll talk packages really briefly. 
And I'm just going to go through what they did. Some of this is going to go over some of the highlight stuff, uh, uh, Hamilton highlight stuff again. Uh, but they played seven snaps at base, 48 yards, 6.9 yards per play. Not a lot to say about that. Um, uh, six snaps of a standard nickel where they had Peppy Williams in. So six snaps only of having a regulation third corner, third fifth defensive back be a corner as opposed to a safety. And big nickel, they played 15 times. Okay, wait a minute. Let's go back a second. The standard nickel, six plays, 74 yards, 12.3 yards per play. So that didn't work out. Came at the end of the game, garbage time. Yeah, I know. It included the 41-yard touchdown. Yeah, that's true. Still, it didn't work out. The big nickel, 15 times. Uh, that's when they're, you know, they have two down linemen, two outside linebackers, two inside linebackers. But they have, instead of three corners and two safeties, they have two corners and three safeties. Kyle Hamilton's in at slot corner. 15 plays, 55 yards, 3.7 yards per play. That's pretty good. <laughs> we'll, we'll go on a little further. The rush nickel. Now, that still contains Hamilton with the only change being made up front, where you made, instead of having a second defensive line in the game, you have a third outside linebacker in the game. So that's the only difference between that and big nickel. It's actually a rush big nickel that they played. So they had Hamilton in the game. Uh, they had on those seven plays, two yards. So 0.3 yards per play. You can see that's where a lot of Hamilton's difference came in yeah. was in, in contributing to those packages rush dime they had. And that, that is where you start getting back into and the standard dime having um, uh, Stevens on the field on, on those snaps, uh, the rush dime, they had one play, one yard. So that was, that was fine. And, and you know, what are we judging off one play? And then the standard dime, they had 11 plays for 63 yards, 5.7 yards per play. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, Hamilton was on the field for those snaps as well as a as a uh, uh, one of the three safeties on the field. And then they played two snaps a quarter, two plays, zero yards. Those were right at the end of the first half. Uh, incredibly, Andy Dalton had ample time and space on his last three throws of the first half. He missed Callaway, I think, on the first one, yeah. overthrew him. And then, he, and then he threw two more incompletes, all with ample time and space. The, the Ravens basically rushed less and less each play three on the second to last play, two on the last play, dropped everybody in the coverage and said, I dare you, Andy. And and he couldn't do it. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, the Ravens played a lot of man coverage in that last drive of the first half. Um, at, but they were doing more bringing an extra blitzer or bring mm -hmm. you know, an extra guy earlier on. Um, I think they decided once they got in the red zone, we're going to just play more of the coverage game. Um, and, and have an extra guy over the top of, of the most, you know, vulnerable receiver or most vulnerable defensive back. And that made it really difficult um, to find the open receiver for, for Dal Dalton. And, and eventually he just said, you know, I'm going to take a chance here before I get sacked. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he, he wasn't really pressured that much. It, I think he felt that he can't hold on to the ball forever. Yeah. I, I, we've, you know, we have seen this occasionally and it's funny because it was at a game, it was a game in New Orleans. It was in the 2006 game there. They had a zero man pass rush against Drew Brees on a play. He didn't know what to do. Uh, I, and I, Ray Lewis was acting like a spy, but there's you know, the five linemen drop back and they're all looking for somebody looking for work and there is none. <laughs> and Brees actually hurried the throw quite a bit because I guess he had read it pretty quickly that, you know, I have to get rid of it quickly to have any chance against 10 guys in coverage against my five. Effectively, everybody can be double covered. 
and he threw the ball quickly and and you know, didn't get it complete. And and I always I always remember that play as being a you know a Rex Ryan special at, at the time that was really uh, terrific. I hope I have the game right. It wasn't the 2014 game, but I think it's the 06 game uh, that, that that they did the zero man rush. Yeah, it had to be because Ray Lewis was on the field. He wasn't with the team in yeah. 14. He was with six. So yeah. All right. Uh, what else did I want to say about packages? I think that's it for uh, for the package stuff. Uh, anything else about general thoughts on defense? Anything about third down that really impressed you specifically? Well, I, I think they just continue to be good on third down. Um, and that's been something they've been in, in the better, you know, echelon of, of NFL teams this year. I, I think in general, third down defense has been better across the league than it has been in previous seasons. But, you know, the Ravens still are probably in the upper third of teams um, in letting up, you know, conversions. And that's something that really helps you, you know, win over the course of the season, you know, getting those, getting off the field, getting your offense back out there. And that's, um, and the offense has been on the opposite side of it. They've been good on third down as well, converting. So Mm -hmm. that's a good place to be for, for both your offense and your defense. So, um, and, they haven't always had to do it, you know, rushing. I think it's one of the things that I've liked to see from this Ravens team. They've been able to actually affect the quarterback when they only bring four, four players. And, you know, sometimes that is like a, a, a deception where you, or you, you know, show five or six and drop a couple into coverage, um, you know, simulated pressures that that's been effective for Mike McDonald. Um, I think they could maybe do a little bit more of it at times in, in some of these games, but um, it's, it's definitely, you know, something that is, isn't, is in his repertoire. And I think that that's something that is going to hopefully be some, a way that they continue to be good um, being varied in, in their, you know, their defensive um, approaches on third downs. We're going to get into the pass rush stuff. I've got a lot of detail on that, in particular about the, the elements of deception you're kind of talking about at the second part, if you don't mind. So I'm going to I'm going to table that for parking yeah. lot for just a minute. I, you know, one of the things, and and this is just it comes up all the time, is the Ravens have done a terrific job of modulating their gambling to an appropriate level on defense, such that they're getting the barbelling of results they need, the defensive variation they need to be effective. And that's allowing them to get off the field more often. That, the best thing you can do is just allow less total yards, allow fewer yards to play, allow fewer big plays. If you could do all that, you, you wouldn't have any problem. There wouldn't be any choices to make defensively. You'd, you'd Everybody be the 2,000 Ravens, and, and you'd say, just, just try and go the length of the field on us. I dare you. But defenses need variation. I make that point almost every week on the show. And, and the Ravens have done a good job with how much they gamble on defense. They did a good job of trying to get turnovers. They get a good job of trying to get passes defense, which can turn into those. They, they do a good job of knowing when they still have to risk pressure on third down to try and improve their chance of winning the down and getting off the field. And they're not afraid to, get, uh, to give up an occasional um, play between level two and three when it's required to do it and still keep the, 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 the uh, receiver in front of you and make a catch and make a, you know, to, to make a catch. Uh, it's it's just it's a it's a very well managed defense right now, and I think I'm really appreciating now to a greater degree. And I have very I'm very positive on where this this defense is headed for the second half of the season for the remainder of the season. There's no second half anyway. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the remaining eight ninths of the season. I'm, yeah, I'm very, there's I'm no, very positive. <laughs> there is no true halfway mark anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's annoying. But I'm but I'm extremely bullish on where this defense is headed. I just think they they I, I I've always loved you know the Wink and the Rex defenses that knew exactly how much to gamble. Uh, and, and and gambling too much, I think, is usually the direction you want to err in. But I think I like the modulation that we've gotten from McDonald as of right now, and I think it'll play very well against the remaining opponents on the schedule. They're not facing Josh Allen every week, you know. They're not facing Joe Burrow. They will face Joe Burrow once, but they'll also face Kenny Pickett twice. So yeah. you know, it's they're they're going to have some chances to to make some quarterbacks pay for some bad decisions. Yeah, I also think it's important to remember that Mike McDonald is in his first year as an NFL defensive coordinator. He's still feeling out you know, what he needs to do, how he needs to call, you know, plays throughout the course of the game, what his team is responding to, you know, I mean, we talked about packages and, you know, personnel, but also, you know, when to get aggressive and when to be a little bit more conservative. And I think getting a feel for that and figuring out, you know, how the team plays best and, and what roles that's only going to improve as he gets more experience and, and more, you know, of these, you know, games under his belt. Yeah. And, and in, in the case of this year, I think it'll also improve with the fact that he's actually got a better palette of talent to work with right now than he did at the start of the season, which is incredible yeah. to say, even with, with Marcus Williams out. So, all right. Outstanding. Uh, once again, Gabe at Gabe Fergie on Twitter, and we will be back for part two. So we'll take a, a moment. We'll be talking about the pass rush, uh, individual player discussion, uh, which always is an entertaining thing, especially with Gabe. And then we'll talk about the mailbag where we'll have some uh, questions. Hopefully uh, I haven't been great about getting to those every week because the discussion has been so active, but we're going to try and specifically set aside time in this episode to make sure we get to that. Uh, Gabe, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Uh, appreciate folks out there listening and we'll talk to you next time on film study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.